Hello everyone and welcome to this special edition of Employment Matters, brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labour and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm your host Raymond Lowe, partner at Shun Dalamore. Along with bringing you updates and critical events happening around the world, we are fortunate to have the chance to touch base with our local ELA lawyers that practice on the ground in these countries. On the programme, we span the globe and have received updates on critical issues from ELA members in each region. We have an interesting topic today, that is the impact of COVID-19 on immigration and employment policies in Malaysia. Joining me today is my longtime colleague and friend, Suganti Singham, a partner at Shandalamo & Co. Suganti has 25 years of experience in the field of employment and industrial relations law. She also currently heads Shun's immigration practice. Suganti is consistently a ranked lawyer in Chambers and Partners since 2017, and the Chambers Review described her as a tenacious and competent lawyer. Hello, Suganti. It is great to have you on the show. Good morning, Raymond. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, Suganti, you have a, a profound impact to the industry as an employment lawyer. I do notice that another area of practice that stands out, that is immigration law. Would you like to tell something about the scope of this practice area? Well, Raymond, the immigration practice essentially caters to the needs of companies setting up in Malaysia and particularly where they have the intended employment of expatriates. So our practice caters towards the securing of the necessary employment permits. And in some instances, you also have unlawful detention and litigation that comes about arising out of mm. breaches of the Immigration Act. And that's where we step in as well. Great. Well, our topic today is COVID-related. And the New York Times recently has this to say about COVID in a single sentence. The coronavirus pandemic has affected our lives, our economy, and nearly every corner of the globe. What has the impact been on cross-border immigration? That's an interesting question. From what we've seen over the last one and a half years, particularly, because of the rapid evolution of COVID, mutual immigration understanding between nations now take a totally different approach. Reciprocity of policies and labor migration management has unfortunately been severed to some degree in the interest of national COVID policies. And this has, as a result, prevented the movement of talent and workers, which, of course, has resulted in the economy suffering. What began as a health crisis, however, has evolved with the impact far-reaching on the economic and social fronts. I mean, we need to look no further than to our closest neighbour, Singapore, where at the onset, there was an almost immediate prohibition on daily cross-border travel, affecting tens of thousands of Malaysians who would undertake the daily commute. What used to be an accepted fact of life with travel was regrettably no longer possible on account of the closed borders. And what we've also seen is that with the global work culture of imported work talent, the detrimental effects of COVID have crept into the workforce without the talent 
employers required to sustain their operations, while having to remunerate his current fleet of workers in striving to keep the business afloat amidst reduced economic activity. So, in a nutshell, the inability to cross borders seamlessly has seen its effect not only from an economic perspective, but from a general well-being where you have the inability of families to reunite. So on both fronts, the employers and employees have regrettably become casualties of the pandemic. I'm sure that our listeners will be interested to know, has the pandemic affected immigration and employment policies in any fashion? I think there's no running away from that, Raymond. What we have certainly seen is the tightening of immigration entries. Now, notwithstanding the fact that you may have such individuals holding the necessary employment permits, where previously one would be able to enter and exit freely, there is now the added introduction of a my entry, which essentially is a form of permission to be obtained from the Director General of Immigration for entry into Malaysia. So this is an added requirement that has been implemented with the onset of COVID. And this permission, more importantly, is discretionary. It's not an automatic right. There are several countries on the prohibited list presently. You have Pakistan, Bangladesh, India, Sri Lanka, just to name a few. So notwithstanding the fact that these expatriates hold valid employment permits, because our borders remain closed after a period of almost one and a half years, permission will not be granted to enter Malaysia if you are from the prohibited countries. Mind you, notwithstanding the fact that you've already been issued a work permit. And further, we have yet to open up to international tourism activities. However, recognizing that there is also a balance to be struck in light of the current border restrictions implemented by the Malaysian government, foreign nationals who do not possess any form of passes or permits who intend to enter and remain in Malaysia for a period of 14 days or less, they too will be required to obtain entry permission but in the capacity as a short-term business visitor. Now, whilst no permission is required to exit the country at any time, you will always require permission to enter. And these would be, for instance, you have potential investors seeking to do business in Malaysia or business customers for product qualification, validation before commercial production, or even technical experts. And these applications, again, in turn, would have to be submitted through the My Travel Pass online portal. And within this itself, there is an expanded scope of countries which are prohibited entry amongst those South Africa, Turkey, the UK, Spain and Russia. So what we've also seen is that there's also been greater enforcement in existing legislation. Now, this is from the perspective of the minimum housing standards and accommodation to be provided for foreign blue-collar workers. You know, with the increasing numbers of COVID, I think you would also have seen the news coverage where inspections have been intensified 
on the suitability of such accommodation, the necessity to have a certificate of fitness issued by the Department of Labor, with heavy financial penalties imposed for such breaches. And in the context of employment policies, what we've also seen is the expansion of the employment insurance scheme to all pockets of workers, including those in the gig economy, those self-employed, whereby the aim is to provide some form of a job-seeking allowance, not only to those who are registered, but to the unregistered and unemployed job seekers. And this is currently under a pilot program introduced by the government. Well, let's talk about another issue that is remote workers. In the era of remote working, some companies are resorting to using remote workers. From an immigration standpoint, tell us how easy is it for an employer that is based outside Malaysia to engage a non-Malaysian employee and deploy the person to Malaysia as a remote worker? What are the risks and requirements? Interesting question, and it's undeniable, Raymond. I think um, in today's context, remote working has become the word of the day. Now, whilst there are multiple considerations from a tax and corporate perspective as well, and risk, on the immigration front, because of the inability to have expatriates enter Malaysia without restriction, this has in fact caused employers to truly re-examine their business and operational needs. Now, if you look at the Immigration Act and regulations, the laws impose a requirement to have a work permit if the individual is going to undertake work in Malaysia. The key words under the regulations are, the employment pass may be issued to any person wishes to enter the Federation in order to take up employment under a contract of service. Now, given that what we've seen, remote working has proven that it is not necessary for such expatriates to physically enter Malaysia to undertake the work, then this removes the need for a work permit. This will invariably be dependent on the job needs, of course. There's no one size that fits all. But the moment you have a company intending deployment to Malaysia, any of the individuals who are intended to be deployed to Malaysia to undertake this work, this then invariably invokes the necessity of having the employment permit. And it's irrespective, however short a period, even if it's for a month or two, but as long as you require the individual to come into Malaysia to undertake that work, this in turn invokes the necessity to apply for that necessary permit. And of course, a failure to do so would amount to a breach of the provisions of the Act, thereby rendering the company and its offices to penal and financial sanctions on conviction. Unemployment has become synonymous with covid and I'm interested to know, what are the measures that have been imposed on employers to address escalating unemployment in Malaysia? I think when you look back, given the schemes or efforts by the government, it's a balance to be struck, which I think 
government has been able to do so in the implementation of several policies. Now, unemployment, I think there's no running away from it. It's increased, I think, from 3.3% in 2019 to approximately 4.5% last year. Now, from January of this year, as part of these efforts in prioritizing local talent in respect of the recruitment process, what the government has done is to impose the requirement on existing employers. For those who intend to hire expatriates, they are in fact required to advertise for these job vacancies for a minimum period of 30 days and hold interviews with local citizens. But these requirements, however, are only applicable to holders of the employment pass and temporary working visit pass. Now, in the event of the inability to source for a local candidate, then only will exemptions be accorded. But what they've also recognized is that with the imposition of such a requirement, there would, of course, have ramifications on the business operations of multinationals operating within Malaysia. So flexibility has been accorded in the form of exemptions granted. So, for instance, if you take the extension of employment of an existing expatriate hire, or even where you have expatriates drawing a minimum monthly salary of Malaysian ringgit 15,000, or where they hold key positions in the company, or where you have investors or shareholders also occupying positions in the company, not forgetting the sports sector as well, there is actually an automatic exemption from this requirement to advertise for local talent. You also have, with that, conditional exemptions for specialized skilled positions, where specific unique skill sets and strategic competencies are required to carry out the various jobs stipulated by the employers. So in this context, I think a delicate balance has in fact been struck in addressing the needs of the Malaysian employees and balancing the expectations of investors in connection with the expatriate hires. One group that is often forgotten is the migrant worker. What is the position of migrant workers who are either illegal or not documented already in the country? I'm glad you raised this, Raymond. You're absolutely right. This is a large group and very often forgotten. Recognizing that we have a significant number of undocumented migrant workers who are already in, there is also that need and responsibility of the government to provide protection from COVID. I mean, you can't run away from the fact that these individuals are going to be relevant in the rebuilding of the nation's economic recovery. Needless to say, this is going to be challenging. You have employers who need them to drive their businesses forward once economic activity resumes at full. Then you have the need for the government to spread its resources towards protecting them from COVID. This is by way of vaccinations and health concerns to contain the spread of the virus so that we are ready for an able workforce. Balancing that, you have the individual workers who need sustenance 
to see through the period of employment with their limited resources. Now, recognizing that financial resources of such workers are scarce, I think it's laudable that the government has not only provided the vaccinations on a complementary basis without any form of enforcement action being taken against such individuals, but it has also introduced a scheme to enable such workers to return to their respective home countries. So essentially, where you have illegal or undocumented workers, those who have overstayed, or even those who've had their validity of their permits lapse, under the current scheme opened up by the immigration authorities, they only need to pay a lump sum of 500 ringgit as a compound and then able to return to their country of origin without any further enforcement action being taken. So this, I think, has been quite effective. It's valid until year end, but it in fact encourages the deployment of such workers home. Well, Malaysia is currently on a healthy path towards COVID recovery. Vaccinations have reached quite respectable levels, and the number of reported new cases is on a gradual decline. However, Zoom fatigue has set in, and employers are now talking about the return to the physical workplace. I want to ask, what are your thoughts on the best way forward on the return of the workforce back to the office from an immigration and employment standpoint, given the challenges that we have faced over the past one and a half years? Well, if you look back, I think what we've seen is that the return to the workplace for all, there's been an evolvement of the traditional workspace to the flexibility to have co-working spaces becoming more apparent. And in fact, I think several of our clients as well have downsized not only the workforce, but also the office space. As after a period of close to one and a half years, I think it's undeniable that working from home is a concept to stay. And what employers have also seen is that they can manage escalating costs by reducing rentals on office space, which has in fact been an approach adopted by many companies. Now, these savings have to an extent also been passed on to the employees where allowances have been extended towards the working from home concept. And one client recently informed me that the option of working from home, in fact, is being extended to employees whether they wish to do so on a permanent basis. So there's completely no um, coming into the office at all or a hybrid being extended to the employees. Now, personally, for me, I don't think that there's one size that fits all. So moving forward, perhaps the hybrid model where you have the combination of working from home and working from office appears to be the compromise, I think, that the world today is adapting to. I am certain there are security, data privacy, confidentiality issues that are to be grappled with. However, what we've seen is that the last one and a half years have provided ample training grounds for employers to be better equipped in dealing with these matters. And from an immigration perspective, 
This, I think, has resulted in employers particularly scrutinizing the job needs and the actual need. Do I really need to have the physical presence of the expatriate hire here in Malaysia? Given that you have more reliance being placed on technology and remote working, so we will see a reduction, I believe, in the actual physical posting of expatriates to Malaysia, where you have some jobs which can be carried out overseas entirely. Well, Suganti, you have shared very, very useful insights, and I'm sure our listeners will appreciate your thoughts you know, and your sharing. My sincere thanks to you for appearing on our show. I hope to have you back again. Thank you so much, Raymond. It's been a pleasure. And thank you to the ELA as well for this opportunity. If you would like to connect with Suganti, please click on a biography in the description of this podcast. Also visit the ELA website at ela.law where you can sign up to receive invitations to our upcoming webinars, download white papers and on-demand content from our online library or access the ELA's exclusive Global Employer Handbook. You have been listening to Employment Matters, a podcast brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labour and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm Raymond. Thanks for listening.